The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. John 10, 22 through 42. At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking into the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them you are going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, it is not written in your law. I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at the first at first. And there he remained and many came to him and they said, John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Charday. Man, I need to hear the words of the songs that we have sung this morning. God is a good God. And, um, you know, our hearts oftentimes don't believe the gospel, uh, probably because of um, trauma, probably because we can believe it for other people, but it's so hard to believe it for ourselves because we know ourselves, and we know we don't deserve it. And that's why we need the continuous flow of the river of the gospel to wash over us. And so this morning in this passage that Charday just read, uh, we're going to hear more about a pursuing love, uh, a shepherd who is good, a shepherd who simply wants us to enter a relationship with him. So let's pray before we go to this passage. God, I need you this morning, and we need you this morning. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, open our hearts to the wide and flowing stream of your love. 
God, would you dissect the unbelief in our hearts? Father, would you show us how oftentimes we think and operate like false sheep and not true sheep? God, I pray that you would do your work in the coming moments. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, traveling recently on the interstate, and um, unbeknownst to me, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention, but I pulled over, and I apparently pulled over way too in close and in front of this car next to me. And the reason I know that is because the car, once they were behind me, came zipping around me and got right, you know, about right there on my front and started giving me all kinds of sign language uh, to show their displeasure. And everything in me just went, and I think I actually said it out loud. I think Rachel was in the car, and I, I literally said, what is her problem? And I think it was like uh, Roxy in the play Chicago, uh, as she said in that famous line that, you know, none of us, it's because none of us got enough loving in our childhood. And, and the reality is, every reaction of anger is pointing to something in the past. Uh, she was not, my, what I did, and, and I, I probably deserved it at times, but I don't think I really deserved it on this one. Uh, she was reacting to something else in her life because her reaction was not, uh, didn't really equate to my action. And I think the same is true with the Pharisees. I mean, they literally want to kill Jesus. It didn't take long. Chapter 5 of, of John, he is claiming equality with God, and we read in, in John 5 that uh, they were seeking all the more to kill him. And then in chapter 8, he uh, makes the famous statement, before Abraham was, I am. And what they do, they picked up stones to stoning. And in our passage today, he says, I am the father of one. And they pick up stones to stone him. Why? What is wrong with the Pharisees? Here's what's wrong with the Pharisees. They are predisposed to hate Jesus because they refuse to be sheep. They are predisposed to hate Jesus because they refuse to be sheep. The Jews want control. James said this, Jesus' brother in James 4.2, you desire and you don't have, and therefore you kill, you murder. What was it that the Pharisees wanted? They wanted control. They want to be in the driver's seat. They don't want to follow. They want to lead. And yet, they're very religious. If you knew the Pharisees of the day, if, if you were around them, you would see that they're very dutiful. They know the law. They want to keep life in order. Probably the best of them are Enneagram Ones. They got it all in line. They got everything organized. And yet, Jesus comes and turns over the table, and they can't handle it. Why? Because religion is not about relationship. Religion is a way to make self the shepherd and God the sheep. Let me say it again. Religion is there to make self, or, yeah, self the shepherd and God the sheep. You see, religion is a way to put God in your debt. And, and the Pharisees were all about the law, and that's why. It was not so that they might please a loving and, and beautiful God of grace and mercy. 
they sought obedience in, um, in, in their lives so as when things went wrong, they could look at God and said, wait a minute, look at how I'm living. I don't deserve this. You've got to obey me because of how good and faithful I am. It's rooted in control, and it produces a certain fruit. This control, and I think we can all see in our lives as we kind of go back and forth between uh, false sheep attitude and true sheep attitude, it, it is manifested clearly. Instead of love, there's hate, there's prejudice, there's anger, there's self-righteousness. Instead of joy, there's misery. Instead of peace, there's anxiety. Instead of patience, there's impatience. Instead of kindness, there's rudeness and evil. Instead of faithfulness, there's unfaithfulness. Instead of self-control, there's a tendency to fly off the handle at any moment. But Christianity is radically different. It comes through laying one's life down at the door of Jesus. In chapter 9, as Artez pointed out last week, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone would simply enter through me, he will be saved and go in and out into pasture. If anyone would enter through me, and yet as, as we saw last week, there are many who are trying to get in over the fence and behind the fence and under the fence. They're trying to get in any other way but Jesus, and Jesus said there's only one way. It's by laying down your control. It's by laying down your rule. It's by stopping to, you know, your, your door-building tendencies and just simply accept Jesus and his work. The main idea of this passage this morning is that Jesus wants us to experience the oneness with God that he enjoys. He says, I and the Father are one, and it's an invitation. This is not a, a, a theological class that he's teaching the Pharisees. He's saying, I and the Father are one, and you can be one with the Father too. You can know the living God. I am here that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's why John is putting his pen to the paper. He tells us later, the reason I'm telling you all these stories, the reason I'm giving you these signs is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have eternal life. The same kind of eternal life that Jesus is talking about here. If you come through to God through Jesus, he is holding you in, in his hand, and he will not let you go. And the question before us, have you entered into the kingdom through the door of Jesus? Are you focused on the door this morning? We need to consider this because false sheep and true sheep Sheepness, if you will, abounds in our lives. And to do this, I want us to look at verse 27, where Jesus said, he's, he's showing us the, the nature of true sheep, and thereby we can see the nature of false sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Simple. My sheep hear my voice, they, I know them, and they follow me. Two things. First, true sheep have moved from pride to humble submission to the shepherd's voice. True sheep 
have moved from pride to humble submission to the shepherd's voice. I have a grandson. Uh, you've got a one in five chance of uh, guessing which one, but that's not the point. But he's at that age where uh, and he's a boy, and so I can walk into the room and I can say, hey, how you doing, buddy? And he is playing with his monster trucks. He's got about 4,000 of them. And he is in his own world, you know, crashing them, running up and down every, you know, I don't know what's going on in his mind. He can literally act as if I don't exist. I'm like, hey. And it's like he doesn't even hear me until he wants something. And all of a sudden, I become the focus of his attention until I've given him what he wants, and he's back into his own world. And friends, I see myself in that. I see myself in that so often with God. I can act as if God is not speaking to me. I can act as if God is not, has not spoken, as if he's not even in my life. And then I can become very attuned to him when I want something. The Jews are not willing to turn. They're not willing to humble themselves. They want God to get in line with their wishes. Verses 31 through 39, Jesus is revealing the reality that the, that the Jews don't care about the evidence. He's saying, I've done all these signs. I mean, what else do you want? He, he's, he's turned 200-something gallons of water into the best wine uh, even the pagans at the party of the wedding feast ever experienced. He, he took a few small loaves and a few fish and fed 5,000 people with 12 basketfuls uh, of food left over. He's like, what else you want me to do? But they don't care. They're not listening. He can argue all day. He can do all the signs. He can even be raised from the dead. And they're not going to believe him. Why? Because they are not willing to be sheep. They're not willing to simply lay themselves at the feet of the good shepherd. False sheep will not listen to the shepherd. How about you? Are you listening to the shepherd? Are you attuned to his voice? Do you want to be in his presence Verse 26 has gotten a lot of attention through the years. It says, you don't believe, this is what Jesus says, you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. And everybody goes, oh, that sounds so exclusive. And because it is, but it's not Jesus' fault. Why won't they believe? Because they are, as Paul said, wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, in the kingdom of God, a wolf can become a sheep. All he's got to do is bow before the king and the shepherd. <laughs> but they are unwilling to do that. They can only eat sheep, these wolves. They can't be sheep. Why? Because they're unwilling to be sheep. Here's a profound principle. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Profound principle that Jesus is teaching. To hear, you have to be within speaking distance, and you have to be attuned and listening. That's it. <laughs> it's not hard to hear. 
unless you can't hear like me. You know, I can hear really well with my hearing aids on. But often I'm around God and act like I don't have hearing aids. Are you attuned to the shepherd? Sheep hear their shepherd because they're near. They're attuned. They know the shepherd is going to lead them to good things. Friends, we need to be convinced this morning that what Jesus is calling us to, what he's calling us away from when he calls us from our own control of life, our own plan, our own ways, wanting him to bless our plans, what he's calling us to is a life of flourishing. It is an abundant life of goodness and peace and joy. Unfortunately, we often are listening to our own flesh and to the world that is saying anything but what God would say. So true sheep, submit and listen to the shepherd. But secondly, true sheep abandon their way to follow the shepherd. This same grandson, uh, he and I will go on a walk. And again, you know, it's when he goes outside, buddy, it's every, you know, everything's possible. What can I get into? Which way can I go? You know, and I'm walking. And he is literally never right there by my side. He is always, you know, either out front wanting me to follow him or he's behind me. And, and sometimes, oftentimes, he'll take a right when I'm going straight. And I'll just kind of look over my shoulder. I've learned. And I won't say anything, but I'll just keep walking. And what does he do? After a while, he'll get a certain distance. He's going full headlong, and all of a sudden, he'll slow down. He'll kind of look back. Uh-oh, Bapa, that's what they call me. Bapa's getting a little too far out of my sight, and what does he do? He comes right back. Why? Because he feels unsafe. He knows that if he gets too far from me, there's danger. There's destruction. He knows that Bapa is not trying to make him get in line because I'm cruel, but he's, he, I'm trying to make him get in line that he might have a life of flourishing. I'm keeping him in the fence to keep him away from the highway. I'm keeping him in the room. I'm keeping the door shut because there is a burning fire outside. It's not that I don't love him. It is just the opposite. I love him and would do anything for him. And friends, that's your God this morning. That's the good shepherd saying, let me shepherd you. Get out of your pasture. Get in my pasture and just eat grass and enjoy. Quit trying to make your own way. It's not near as hard as we make it. It's not near as, as, as exhausting as we make life. Just submit to the good shepherd. The Pharisees, the Jews, the false sheep, don't turn around, they just keep walking. Why? Because false sheep don't want a relationship with Jesus. They want a God who will rubber stamp their plans. If that's not connecting with you, you're not listening this morning. I mean, who of us <laughs> don't get the relational order wrong a lot of the time? Who of us don't want God to bless our plans. We all do. But, but God says, no, it is my plan for you, my way for you, what I call. It is a life of faith, not control, of dependence, not independence, of a will submitted, not a will stubborn. 
unless we become like sheep, we will not have peace with the shepherd. Thus, we will not have peace. Humble yourself before the shepherd. Now, it's easy to disassociate ourselves from the Jews and the Pharisees. If For those of us that grew up in church, the minute I say Pharisees, oh, bad, bad, horrible. I'm, I'm not like that. And therefore, it's easy to say, oh, I would never murder Jesus. But let's dig a little bit. Jesus did something brilliant in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder. But I tell you, if you are angry with your brother in your heart, you're guilty of judgment. <laughs> Jesus is going to the emotion. He is, he is bypassing the action and going to the emotion. And therefore, is there anybody in this room that hadn't been angry? Is there anybody in this room that hadn't been angry this morning? I have. I'm not going to talk about it. It's not your, none of your business between me and God. <sighs> anger is the root of murder. What is anger? I did some research this week, and one person, I love this, described anger as this. It's our own ego twisting in a knot and trying to use the other person to undo the strand. It's us getting twisted in a knot. Oh, they won't do what I want them to do, and therefore I'm going to punish them, and that's going to heal me. Did killing Jesus do anything for the Pharisees? No. Did it make them feel better? Maybe for a second, but not much longer. Dear friends, where does your anger get you? You see, really, when, I, when we're angry, when I'm angry... It's why it's because I'm not in control. Why I could give you examples. Anyway, I'll just say it. When that woman came past me and, and I saw the anger in her face and her wanting to kill me, her shooting, you know, at me with her eyes and her hands and body and everything else, was that accomplishing anything? No, but what was it? It was her saying, you don't have the right to slow me down. That's it. That's road rage. You are in my way, and I am God. Oh, did I say that out loud? That's what it is. And folks, I do it too. My wife would tell you I'm the worst. Probably right. Why? Because we all have this inner self that, that wants to be in control, that doesn't want anybody to get in our way or anything else to get in our way. And therefore, to think that we would not have murdered Jesus is simply naive. That woman felt like I was getting in her way and slowing her down. Have you ever felt that way toward God? Is there anybody out there right now where what, what's going on in your life, the circumstances in your life is slowing your plans down and therefore you don't have much time for God? Your life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. There's been some tragedy. There's been some, some tough things, like real tough things. And therefore, okay, God, I'm here, but I'm not 
with you. I'm not submitting to you. I'm not loving you. I'm not worshiping you. See, the best thing I can do for my grandson when we're on that walk is to gently walk over when he's wanting to go his own way and grab him and bring him back and go this way. Even if, this is a parenting lesson, even if he's not walking toward danger. Why? Because if I always let him go the way he wants to go, he's never going to learn that maybe there's somebody else that has a better way. And friends, I'm convinced that that's what God, the best thing he can do for Richard Reeves is frustrate his plans. And boy, has he done his share of it. And that's not a reflection on God. That's a reflection on my stubbornness. That's not, and a huge reflection on his love for me. Sometimes he, he lets me walk into the street. He said, okay. Why? Because I have to learn. And because he loves me. Has God let you out? Are you outside of the pasture per se? His arms are wide open. Everything in us wants to oppose this. The overwhelming pervasive lie is the lie of the culture. You do you. You, what's your plan for your life? Think about that for a minute. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with planning. Hear me. I, this is not a critique. I need to do more of it. But I'm talking about being so committed to your plans that God doesn't have any room in it. That he can't change it. That he doesn't own it. Here's what we often do. The world, who is not thinking about God, not looking to him for direction, um, you know, and every culture's different, but, you know, maybe you can relate to this, maybe you can't, but, you know, my plan for my life is, is to bring order. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be committed to my yoga class or my exercise class. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to... Um, you know, rest enough, I'm going to uh, join the wine club and travel and have a job that kind of fits around all that. And what is unfortunate is that I think many of us today don't have much of a different life except we add, oh yeah, maybe Jesus every now and then. You know, maybe, maybe I'll open my Bible sometime Maybe I'll come to church once in a while. And you say, oh, here goes the preacher getting in preacher mode. He wants us to feel guilty. No. If I, if I offered you a month-long vacation in the Caribbean, all expenses paid, you wouldn't be thinking about what you got to give up to go. You would do whatever you had to to go. And that is the invitation of Jesus. He's saying, I am better than the Caribbean. I'm better than the cruise. I'm better than the yoga class. I'm better than whatever plans and whatever goodness you can come up with because every source of goodness in this world is a drop in the bucket compared to me. 
I am offering you life. Richard Reeves, I'm offering you life. Give it up. Let it go. And here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that Jesus calls us into the kind of oneness with God that he enjoys. When he says, I and the Father are one, he is inviting, inviting us into relationship. The true nature of Christianity is relational, not judicial. Thank God for the judicial. The ju judicial is this, that in the courtroom of God, the Son offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God the Father punished him for my sin. He, he, all the wrath that he had for Richard Reeves was poured out on Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, because he lived under the law perfectly, uh, obeying all of it, said, Father, for Jesus, you take my record in his place. I take his sin, you take my record. But that is just the springboard into abundant relationship with God himself. Think it would not happen if it didn't, if Jesus didn't fulfill the judicial demands of the law. But thank God he did because now I can live in the freedom of my God and know that he is loving me passionately, even though I'm still a sinner, even though I stray, even though I go my own way. That is called grace. And that is what brings us back. When we understand how prone to wander we are, we can understand how gracious and good he is. God is inviting us into this relationship. I and the Father are one. In Romans 6, a passage that is known as uh, the, the passage that points to our union with Christ, listen to what Paul said. For if we have been united with him in, in Jesus' death, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. That's what we sang this morning. I will not die, I will live. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Why? Because you are united to Christ in everything he's done. Praise God that his plan for my salvation was accomplished. Self-care is not near enough. You need the finished work of Jesus, who no matter how you live your life or don't live your life, you, if you believe in Jesus, you were buried with him in baptism, and you were raised with him in his resurrection. And therefore, though you die, you live. Therefore, though sin is battling with you, it will not have the last word, because Jesus has already had the last word. This is the hope of the gospel, and this is our good shepherd. Listen to Ann Voskamp, the Waymaker. I, I get on books, and I use them a lot because I want you to read them. Read Waymaker. That's all I'll say. I'll, I'll quote her now. The triune God came for more than making us right with him. He came to make us one with him. He came for more than cleaning us up and making us right he came to marry us and make us his. Oh, my goodness. He came for more than making a way to what we want. 
He came to make a way for us to want him most. Oh, my goodness. If we could just get that, and it's exactly what Jesus wants the Pharisees to get and the Jews to get and you to get and me to get. Stop your planning and fall at the feet of Jesus and said, all of you and none of me, because he is right and good and loving. My wife gave me an article recently written by a woman that grew up in Scotland, watched sheep a lot. Yes, that's what you do when you grow up in Scotland. And she wrote this article called Bummer Lamb. Bummer Lamb. Listen to what she says. Of all the lessons that I've learned from these defenseless, gentle animals, the most profound is the most painful. Every now and then, a you, mother lamb, will give birth to a lamb and immediately reject it. Sometimes the lamb is rejected because they are one of twins, um, and the mother doesn't have enough milk, or she is old and, frankly, frankly, quite tired of the whole business. These, um, they, they call these lambs the bummer lambs, the ones that are ignored. And listen to this. Unless the shepherd intervenes, the lamb will die. So the shepherd will take the little lost one into his home and hand feed it from a bottle and keep it warm by the fire. He will wrap it up warm and hold it close enough to hear a heartbeat. When the lamb is strong, the shepherd will place it back in the field with the rest of the flock. Off you go now. You can do this. I'm right here. The most beautiful sight to see is when the shepherd approaches his flock in the morning and calls them out. Sheep, sheep, sheep. The first to run to him are the bummer lambs because they know his voice. It's not that they are more loved. It's just that they believe it. Dear friends, do you believe the love of God? Then you run to God. You believe it because it's true. Have you tasted of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Then run to him again this morning. Run to him and confess the reality that your plans have got in the way of y'all's relationship. Dear friends, may we humble ourselves. If you've never given yourself to Jesus, now is the time. Would you just give your heart to Jesus? Yes, it's that simple. It's saying, Jesus, I quit. I accept what you have done for me. I accept, Jesus, you are enough for my salvation. I reject my life and my control for your control because I believe this morning, maybe for the first time, that you are calling me into a good pasture to graze and to rest and to simply be in your presence. Dear friends, would you come to Jesus this morning? Would you come again? Would you come many more times? <laughs> because he is the good shepherd who will never let go of us and who indeed will take us even on into eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that these words are true because they come from you. Thank you that we have life through the door that is Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord Jesus, and we exalt you in this place. Oh, God, win our hearts to you more and more. Win our minds to you. Win our emotions to you. Uh, win our actions to you. 
Oh God, I pray that we would lay our lives down, that you might just simply lift them up, because that is the way of life. Oh Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, how good you are. We give ourselves to you now in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Extend your hands out as we receive uh, the blessing of God. Dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends. Thank you.